Okay, good evening. Today is Monday, June 6th, and we are studying the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is step, uh, or step, step three, and our speaker tonight is Dan Kay. Thank you, Dan. Okay, so I just take it away? Go for it. Hey, and I assume I'm talking on step three, yes? Or whatever, whatever, yeah. Step three or in how it works, I believe is what Amy had said. Okay, great. Um, well, hi everybody. I'm Dan, I'm a recovering anorexic. And I wanna thank Francesca for asking me to lead. Francesca, are you here? Oh, there you are. Hi, Francesca, good to see you. Thanks so much for asking me. And I'm so glad that I was just sitting here in my office doing work and then I could just take a break. So, um, gosh, well, I really love step three as I know a lot of people do. And I have heard people say that every step is step three. And I really believe that for myself. I actually think the whole, for me, the whole process of recovery is a process of surrender. I, I came from uh, my, my home meeting, just to get the numbers out of the way, I, I uh, came to OA in 1990 and I got abstinent in 1995. And I didn't stay in OA the, for those five years. Um, I, uh, but when I came back, I, my, my home meeting, and I, I did celebrate 27 years of abstinence in April of this year. And I always say that I celebrate a 65 pound weight gain from my lowest weight. Um, I celebrate that daily. I celebrate complete freedom from food obsession, complete freedom, freedom from food rules and restrictions. I have no taboo foods, nothing I'm afraid of. I don't pick vacations based on where is safe to eat. I don't pick cities based on where is safe to eat. I don't pick restaurants based on where is safe to eat. I live a life that has nothing to do with controlling, restricting food completely. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, uh, and I'll get into more of that. Um, but yeah, my home meeting it was Serenity Sunday in Beverly Hills uh, back in 1995. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but the founder of OA used to go to that meeting regularly. I didn't know who she was. I found out later her name was Roseanne and she was a sweet, you know, very short woman. <laughs> I'm 6'5 and I towered above her. And, and I don't say that. I, she used to always say at that meeting, no, there are no stars or VIPs. And I didn't know why she said it. Now I understand why she said it. But, um, uh, and I don't think it matters, you know, that she's not a guru. She's not, she's just another abstaining member of Overeaters Anonymous. But that meeting had really strong recovery. And that the people at that meeting used to say, recovery is a process of surrender. Recovery is a process of surrender. And you know, I heard back at that meeting, you know, that, you know, my, one of my first sponsors said, you know, we go to meetings and we put our hand up so that others can get to know us and so that we can get to know us. And um, I just really believe, you know, I, so I'll just tell some of that story, which is, like I said, it's just one big process of letting go of control of my life and trusting my, my, not just my, my disorder to a higher power, but my will in my life, my dreams to my higher power, where I think I'm going to my trust that to my higher power. Um, 
And that really is, I mean, the, my story of recovery really is a third step story of thinking that I had to be a certain place by a certain time in my life. And um, that's just getting all blown out of the water because of my eating disorder and anorexia. So, yeah. So like I said, I came to LA a long time ago. Um, I was obsessed with food, totally obsessed with food. So obsessed with food that I could have, the thoughts were so loud in my head. They probably came out of my mouth at some point. They were just, it was like possession. And I really believed it was because I was an overeater. I believed, like I had been to OA five years before and I thought, well, if you're obsessed with foods, because you're a compulsive overeater and that's how this works. And so I came to OA and I started identifying as an overeater and I was already very underweight. And I started controlling my food more in OA. And I started uh, getting more food rules and more rituals and more taboo foods. And I heard, don't eat standing up. So I didn't eat standing up. And I heard, don't eat after eight o'clock. So I didn't eat after eight o'clock. And some people had gone vegan. So I went vegan. And then I went pescatarian. And then I went this food, this Los Angeles food like little thing, and that Los Angeles new age food diet. And I was That's constantly, thank you. Thank you. I was constantly trying to find the answer to the food and the food. If I could get the food right, I won't feel guilty about eating. And I heard that abstinence is guilt-free eating. And that did a number on my head because for an anorexic, there is no such thing as guilt-free eating. And um, so anyway, and I don't blame anyone for that. I was just in the throes of anorexia and didn't know it. And, um, and my first step really happened nine months in, I had lost more and more weight. I was taking chips and candles. I hit bottom in a way, my hair was falling out. I was, a, I was 125 pounds. I'm six, five. I was about dead. And, um, I was working with somebody who was also no way, who was my Eskimo. And she came up to me, I was a waiter and she came up to me in the bus station. And she just said to me, you know, I think you're about to die soon. And I got defensive and like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm, I don't, I'm not anorexic. And I remember specifically saying to her, but I stuffed my feelings with food. And in order to be spiritual, I have to abstain. And I like gave her all of my like OA jargon that like I had learned. And, and she said, you know, Dan, actually food grounds you and puts you in your body. And there was something about that. I wasn't in OA for nine months at that point. I was working the steps with a sponsor and um, not the perfect sponsor for me probably a very sick sponsor for me, but it was what I needed. They always used to say, no way we start where we're at. I started where I was at. I picked the sickest person I could find. There's a whole story there and I won't go into it. But anyway, long story short is that was my moment when I heard the word anorexia and see, I had discovered new age spirituality. And in my mind, when I wasn't eating enough food, I thought I was being spiritual because I felt clean and pure inside. I felt so clean and pure when I didn't eat enough food and I didn't know I was eating enough food. And I always say that anorexia for me is, was never about looking good. It is about feeling guilty for existing and it's about being dead. It is not about vanity and it is not about looking good and it is not about anything like that. And I did not, I never consciously starved myself. In my mind, I was just avoiding overeating 
and I was avoiding stuffing my feelings with food and I was avoiding using food emotionally. I had all the jargon, like I said before. Um, but most importantly, what I was avoiding was feeling guilty. I didn't want to feel guilty anymore. And the only way to stop feeling guilty was to eat less food. And then, but the way anorexia works is in order to get that guiltlessness, I had to keep eating less and less and less and less. And that's why I always say, you know, I, I used to hear compulsive overeaters talk about how that their disease is about filling a hole and that there's no amount of food that will fill that hole. And my anorexic version of that is there is no amount of starvation that will alleviate my guilt. That's my anorexia. No amount of, of going without, abstaining from sex, abstaining from shopping, abstaining from fun. Early in my anorexic career, someone invited me to Magic Mountain, which is an amusement park just north of LA here. And uh, I walked up to them and I said, I don't believe in fun. And I walked away and I felt like I had been, I was like victorious. Like I had conquered the disgusting human desire for fun. And that was, that was my anorexia. I avoided my human appetites because I just didn't want to feel guilty. And I've come to see, of course I was, you know, I relied on that feeling of, of purity and omnipotence that starving gave me. Um, so anyway, and I have a lot more anorexia horror stories that I won't share in the interest of time. But um, that moment when my friend Lonnie said, you know, you're going to die. And I heard the word anorexia. What happened because I was working the steps very anorexically, very imperfectly, very in a way, in a very sick way, but I was still working the steps and I was going to meetings and making calls. What happened in that moment was that I, I just had this little break where I thought maybe the problem is not the food. Maybe the problem is how I feel about the food. Maybe the problem is not what I do with food, but how I feel about eating and the guilt I feel. And I, it was like the scale, it's like the big book said, the scales fell before my eyes or fell from my eyes. And I saw That's anorexia. Ten. Thank you. I saw anorexia and I started eating. I started eating three balanced meals a day. And I think the very next day I went to a meeting and I went to fellowship and I had a big plate of food at fellowship. I, I remember specifically it was at Factors Deli on Pico and Beverly in my neighborhood, my fabulous neighborhood back then. And um, it was a big tuna melt of French fries and I ate the whole plate. And the, the table of Overeaters Anonymous fellowships, mostly overeaters, sat and applauded for me. And then I went to the meeting that night and I told my meeting that I had eaten this big tuna melt and the meeting applauded for me. And I swear to God that saved my life. I started eating three meals a day. I gained 45, 50 pounds in two or three months and I was abstinent and I was shot back to life. And they used to say, if you wanna find out why you're eating or not eating or barfing or enemying or working out six, six hours a day, stop doing those behaviors and you're going to find out why you're doing it. And that's exactly what happened to me. I got abstinent and suddenly I didn't just have a problem with food. Suddenly I had pain in my body. And suddenly the fact that I was raised in an abusive household and that my parents joined a religious cult, a homophobic religious cult, 
and I'm a gay man. And um, I mean, the stories of my life came to me. The reality of my life came to me. And the pain of that reality came to me. And I remember calling, again, my friend Daryl and crying so hard that my sides hurt. And this happened after abstinence. This happened when I came back to life and came into my body. I called another fellow right around this time. I won't say her name, but an angel, compulsive reader. I called her on a Tuesday night, I'll never forget. And I don't know why she told me this, but she just said, you know, Dan, I maimed, she, she was a compulsive reader. She, she was well over hundred pounds overweight and she had lost all her weight. And she said, Dan, you know, I maimed my body. She told me she maimed her body because her father molested her. And then he cut her out of his will for dating a man of color. And she said, the rage and pain that I could never express to my father, I had to take out on myself. And that was not my story. But when she took a risk and told me her truth, it gave me the courage to look at my own truth, look at my own story. I don't, I, I was not born with anorexia. I picked up anorexia as a survival tool to survive the unsurvivable. I've had therapists tell me you're lucky you are alive and they're not talking about anorexia. They're talking about the fun house of abuse that I grew up in. And then I picked up anorexia in order to live through it and then to continue to live through it because it kept going on even in adulthood through my own hands. Um, I've learned in recovery that, you know, because I was raised in abusive love, I was attracted to abusive love and in OA people taught me what real love is. Abusive love, in my definition, is the intertwining of love and danger. Real love isn't dangerous, but abusive love is really dangerous. And I learned real love in a way. And I learned to start slowly start to take that out into my own life. And today, I don't recreate the dynamics of abuse that I was raised in because of recovery in a way. Um, so, you know, that, that was like the journey. And, and it's still the journey. I mean. Slowly, yes, I started eating three meals a day way back then, but I had to slowly let go of anorexic behavior beyond that. I had to stop praying. That took, I, had to, I had to stop praying before I eat. That took me three years to do that. I was so terrified to not pray before I ate. And I know some people do pray before they eat, and that's their recovery. But for me as an anorexic, praying before I eat is toxic. And I have incompreh incomprehensible demoralization. I remember going out to a restaurant with people I didn't know very well and bowing my head for three minutes while everyone's looking at me like, what is this guy doing? Because I had to purify myself before I ate. I had to let go of these behaviors. I identified as an overeater just because I was afraid that if I don't identify as an overeater, I'll become one. And what that, what that actually really masked was, I was afraid that if I just went to my higher power with my real problem, and I worked the big book and the steps around my real problem, which is anorexia, that it would be taken from me. And that's exactly what happened. Five minutes left. Thank you so much. So, um, yeah, recovery has just been this like slow, but very steady and very powerful march toward health and who I really am. And I believe the true gift of recovery is that I find who I really am. And I own who I really am. And I share who I really am with other people. And that is the true gift of this recovery. 
my anorexic self is not my real self. The part of me that is denying my desires, denying sex, and denying shopping, denying good food, denying vacations and fun, that is my false self. And it's not who I really am. And I know I became that thing to survive. But, and what that means, survival for me, and this really came out in my fourth step, one of my many fourth steps. Um, my anorexia really came down to, you know, if I annihilate myself, then the world, can't, the world cannot annihilate me. If I don't let joy in, then joy can't be taken from me. If I don't let love in, love can't be taken from me. And that's the defense of anorexia for me. That's like, I have no needs. Like freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. Like that's anorexia. If I have nothing, then I don't have anything to lose. And I, today I trust happiness. I have a big, full, rich life today. And I risk happiness. And I do have the life beyond my wildest dreams. And the third step really means I got to this by letting go of knowing how to get there. I really thought my anorexia was going to give me my dreams. And it didn't. It took them from me. But I really believe by being a good little boy without appetites and without a voice and without, you know, everyone loves me and I smile and make everybody happy and just disappear into the wall, like that that was going to give me a good life. And it didn't. And the third step means I have to change my whole plan for how I'm going to get what I want and let go of what I think I want. And that's what I've done slowly but surely, imperfectly, but I've done that. I really have done that. And my life is so much better than what I planned. And I always want to wrap it up. I know I'm probably coming to my end here, but I always wrap it up with saying this, or not always, but this is a good thing to wrap up with. Um, you know, back in 1995, I had friends that were on Broadway. I had friends that were touring Asia as dancers. I had friends that were running television shows and getting auditions for movies. And I was going to OA seven days a week. And I felt ripped off. I felt like, what? This is where I landed at 25. And today, I really believe I'm the luckiest man in the world. I am so lucky that I, my higher power, higher power saw fit to like, send me on this path of recovery, to where I can have real, I have real partnership in my life. I do not, there, that love intertwined with danger thing is a thing of my past. I really live the life beyond that abusive upbringing. And like I said, my life is beyond, it's more than I could have ever planned for myself. My friend, um, my friend Chris years ago said that the, the essence of the third step is having a handful of rhinestones and being willing to let the rhinestones fall out of my hands and let my hands sit empty for a while so that my higher power can bring me real diamonds. And I know that's just like a recovery parable that we've all heard before, but that is my lived experience. That is my lived experience. I had this one thing I wanted in my life and I thought I was gonna starve my way to getting there and it didn't happen. And the life I have today is so beyond, it wasn't even on the menu, the things that I have in my life today the abundance, the real available love, the real friendships, the ability to be of service and to listen and be there for other people. It wasn't even on my wish list. I heard someone a long time ago say, I didn't have the self-worth to dream of the life that I have in recovery. 
And again, we've all heard that and it sounds cliche. That is my lived experience. That is my lived experience. And it all, it, it's not about the food, but it's about the food. And it starts and ends with the food. I cannot have a big, beautiful, full, rich life and starve myself at the same time. I can't, I don't get to. I have to choose the sleek, sick, false comfort and safety of anorexia or the sometimes uncomfortable, big, expansive life of recovery. That's time. Thank you. I'll wrap it up and just say one day at a time, I keep coming back so that I can continue to choose expansion. And as I do, my life gets better and better. And that is the truth for me. It is not something I'm saying just to get you to keep coming back. That is my truth. So I've never been more true to myself. I've never been freer from my disorder and I've never been happier. And it's because of recovery from OA. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Dan, so much. Okay, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions, or star nine if you are on the phone, and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up? And if the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Okay. All right. First Take up we have Amy. Hi, everybody. Amy B, compulsive overeater, living very gratefully in a recovered state today. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Victoria. Um, thank you, everybody, for being here tonight. Thank you so much, Dan. I am driving home from the airport after having been in L.A. this weekend for the Big Book Workshop and for fellowship. And um, I am so, so glad that I dialed in for this meeting to be here live. Dan, um, you said so many amazing things. And um, unfortunately, I was driving. I couldn't take notes. So please forgive me if I um, quote you incorrectly. But you say that you said the people in OA taught me what love is or how to love and that recovery taught me who I am which makes me think about being restored to sanity like it promises in the second step. And when you said about the rhinestones and the diamonds and the life that you were given, like I wouldn't have aimed this high. I, I wouldn't have believed that I could have this kind of grace and peace and love and forgiveness and fellowship. And it all comes from surrender from letting it go, from reaching out. My life is so big and beautiful today because of this program, because of all of you. Um, Dan, again, thank you for this incredible resource on, on recovery. I will listen to it again and again and again. Thank you so much, I pass. 
Awesome. Thank you, Amy. Next up, we have Roby. Hi, Roby, um, compulsive overeater, uh, restrictor, living in recovery. Um, Dan, thank you so much. I, 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 I guess what I want to know is you expressed some different ideas and it's so refreshing to hear it. Um, and I want to know, how did you resist the temptation to identify out, um, to stay in a way when some of what I hear is really different than the, the you know, the weighing and measuring and um, alcoholic foods and, um, uh, you know, one bite extra is you got to start over. Um, I... I'm, this is something I, I noticed that there's a feeling about getting it wrong. Oh my God, I have to start over. That's not good for my program, but I'm not free of the guilt panic that can start in if, a, you know, it's, there's just such a fine line and, um, learning to be comfortable with that. I'm curious how, how you arrived at that and what's kept you here, not saying, okay, maybe I'm not one of them and I could go, cause I could go do this a different way. Thanks for that question, Roby. Dan, would you like to answer that? Sure, hi everybody again, I'm Dan, recovering anorexic. Thanks Roby so much for your question. Um, yeah, so I'll talk real quickly about that. I really, first of all, how did I do it? I, you know, there is a higher power. I. I'm from Los Angeles. I came into OA. There were people in OA who were anorexic and bulimic. There were AB meetings. Even though I really did get abstinent with overeaters, there was there was grace there. Um, back in that meeting that with the founder of OA used to go to, the the going rate, the going thing was three balanced meals, three eat three balanced meals. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of weighing and measuring. There wasn't a lot of da, 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 da stuff. It was like, and what's really going on? You want to talk about your food? How about you talk about your life? That was kind of the, the, the wisdom. So I think that was part of it. And over the years, I just really believe the identification is really important. What am I really recovering from? What is my true surrender? What is my true surrender? It is not a surrender for me to weigh and measure my food. I love it. Oh my God, I would love that. Are you kidding me? It is not a surrender for me to give up sugar. I love it. I love it. I love the purity I get from eating clean, 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 clean. It's a, I, and I want to say this for the tape. As a fellowship, I think we can own how it's all one disease and we can also own and honor how they're all three different. And that doesn't mean we, we step away from each other. It means we come together honestly. You know, recovery taught me to be honest about things and straightforward about things. I'll never forget at the end of a meeting, one of my first meetings, I walked up to a woman or she walked up to me and we were having that weird, uncomfortable moment of, are we going to hug? And she went, can I hug you? And it was like, oh my God, you say it out loud. You say it out loud. And that little metaphor of like, we can say it out loud that for some people, someone who's been 300 pounds their whole life, yeah, weighing and measuring might be what they need to do. For some people, and people do say it out loud, I know it's not controversial, but I don't know. I just go back to what is my real surrender? What is my real surrender? What makes me crawl out of my skin? If I was an overeater, 
I would like to overeat. It would be comfortable for me, but I'm not. Restricting and starving myself is comfortable for me. And that's what I have to give up. I have to do what I call is my, oh my God, are you kidding me? If I'm not disgustingly uncomfortable with what I have to do in recovery, I'm probably not doing it. I went to six other 12-step programs because I'm an anorexic because I like compulsively fixing myself. None of those programs were my problem. It was not a surrender for me to go to six programs. It was a surrender for me to stop going to six programs. So that's my answer. What makes you want to crawl out of your skin in discomfort? That's what you should be doing. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Dan, for that answer. Next, we'll go with Elena. Hi, everyone. I'm Elena, recovery compulsive reader and restrictor. Um, Dan, damn, I could just listen to you talk um, all day. You said so many, so many things. Um, but at the end there, when you just answered that question, what is my surrender? And as a restrictor, um, weighing and measuring abstinence, not a problem, not a problem for me. Um, what is a problem for me is changing behaviors, amending behaviors, not exercising the way I was exercising. Um, you know, allowing myself to be seen, sharing myself with people, the life things that you spoke about. You also spoke about denying. And you said the only way to stop feeling guilty is to eat less food. And my God, how I related to that. Denying self, denying uh, fun, denying joy, denying peace. And it came to me, you know, the other morning I was, I was eating breakfast and it literally came to me. I have a choice now. I literally have a choice. I don't have to go towards, you know, denying myself to feel like a good girl. You know, I, I can experience joy. I can experience happiness without the fear, you know, of it being taken from me. And I do feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world. And I want to share with everyone, like a miracle that happened talking about the third step that I am not God and I am not in control. I was in a situation this past weekend where my mom had a very freak anaphylactic, um, response to fertilizer. And I was with her and I was in the hospital with her overnight and it hit me again. You know, the old me, I would have been, you know, running to the vending machine every five minutes or, you know, any, anything to escape the feeling of not having to be with my mom, I would have buried her. She would have been dead already. You know, like all these fears, you know, the third step, it talks about a hundred forms of fear. Um, and, you know, I literally felt that night that I had like a superpower because of, because of these steps, I could be present for her. I got myself out of the way. I could be of service. I had no service on my phone in that hospital, but I was just praying. Like I had a whole set of tools and I was in the bathroom and I was like, Elena, like I felt like I was carried, like something was holding me. And it was a very difficult night. I mean, the throat was closing. It was a whole thing, you know, and, and this is what this, all of this recovery, like led me to that moment. Like that was what this moment was for, you know? And I just, I, I literally feel like the luckiest person on earth because I had a choice that night. I wasn't stuffing. I wasn't restricting. I wasn't exercising myself into a hospital. I wasn't any of those things. I was just being of love and of service to my mom. And I got myself out of the way. That's um, time. That is time. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks again. Thank you, Elena. Next we'll go with CJ. 
Hi, everybody. CJ, recovering um, anorexic bulimic compulsive overeater. Um, Dan, I um, I heard you at the um, at the birthday party convention conference, and um, it was it when it, it was an experience for me that um, that took some of the scales away from my eyes. And so my first thing um, that I want to say to you. Uh, which is around allowing myself to be seen and not de denying myself is is to thank you. Um, I wrote down that I wanted to call you after that birthday. Um, I chickened out of it. Um, I wasn't going to come to this meeting. I was going to do human doing stuff instead of human being stuff. And um, my higher power told me to show up. And there you are. Um, so thank you. Thank you for Thank you for showing up. Thank you for what you shared at that birthday convention. It was so much like what you shared today. Um, you said, and it, I'll never forget. You said, I, I lived my life anorexically um, and I wouldn't allow myself to have a big, beautiful life. And I've been in this program um, for a long time. Um, I was doing all the right things. I was abstinent from behaviors. I was on a food plan. Um, and I, I wasn't happy and I wasn't, I didn't know joy and I was denying myself joy. I was denying myself connection and I didn't get it. I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand why I was still discontent and irritable. I didn't understand why I wasn't connecting with people. And it was because I was still stuck in that anorexic mindset of compliance, performance. I have to show you that I'm good at this, not just truly be my genuine self and being vulnerable. And something happened to me at that birthday convention and you were a big part of it where it just like, I got it. Like I am starving myself from human connection while I'm still in this program. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for being you, for showing up. Um, and I am actually gonna call you at some point <laughs> without passing. Thanks, CJ. With that, we're going to stop the recording.